the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. With everything happening in the world of sports, there's no better place to follow the most important storylines than The Athletic. Delivering in depth reporting, rich storytelling, thoughtful analysis from an all star newsroom. Download the app, follow your favorite teams and leagues, and get a personalized feed of great content built around you as the sports fan. There's no ads. No autoplay videos and no clickbait. Just great sports coverage you can trust and stories you won't find anywhere else. Get started now. Visit theathletic.com slash spottrack, S-P-O-T-R-A-C, for 40% off your first year subscription today. My name is Mike Gennetti. We've got a jam-packed show, and it's not a lot of me for once. Three guests. We're going to bring in Scott Allen, talk a little bit about basketball. Of course, how can we look away from the first 48 hours of the NBA postseason Upsets across the board, question marks across the board. You know, who's going to get it done at the end of the day here? Is it just an anomaly with these game one losses? And what is in store for Anthony Davis and really, you know, plenty of people this offseason? Scott's got a bunch of numbers in terms of what might happen with the salary cap and how that might impact the offseason as well. So we'll bring in Scott to start here. Then we've got Cousin Dan back on the show after a bit of a hiatus here. He's been plowing plowing through this fantasy baseball world. Um, And it's been a, a challenge, as you might imagine, Kind of a precursor for what might come with the NFL, um, you know, with the COVID situation. Uh, you know, are they going to expand rosters? How do you treat your fantasy situation? Cousin Dan's got some thoughts on how baseball is going and how that might impact NFL as well. And then speaking of fantasy football, really great guest, Michael Fabiano from Sports Illustrated uh, and, and a fantasy show, Fantasy Dirt on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio. Just an absolute goat in the in the fantasy sports conversation here. He answered every question about as great as you might imagine he would, and uh, we got to a lot. So fantasy baseball, fantasy football, a little bit of NBA to start the show, and not a lot of Mike Gennetti. That makes me happy on a Wednesday afternoon. We are also brought to you by Dynasty Owner. Do you think you're the best at fantasy football? Dynasty Owner gives you the chance to play real fantasy football with NFL contracts and NFL salaries. Visit DynastyOwner.com today. Start your league. Look at or drafting soon. That's why we're having a fantasy show here. It's time. It's time to go to DynastyOwner.com, build yourself a winning team, stay under the salary cap. You can win cash prizes, compete in the chase for the ring. It's a legitimate prize, by the way. I've seen this thing. Tell them Track sent you, and you'll get an extra bonus after you join the league. Visit DynastyOwner.com today. All right, let's bring Scott Allen to the Hit Parade Hotline. Scott, welcome back to the show. Generally, I keep you away from the Wednesday and Thursday show, but... It's overreaction Wednesday. Let's call it that. Let's call it what it is. Uh, here's my first question for you. Is it an overreaction? Or is this exactly what the NBA wanted? And I'm talking about the Bucks getting destroyed by Orlando and the Lakers not being able to overcome the Portland Trailblazers. It's what the NBA wanted because the more <laughs> games you have, the more revenue that comes in. I mean, it's an easy answer. I'm not, I'm not going to say the fix is in, but... I don't know. Did Giannis even look like an NBA player yesterday? My goodness. He, uh, man, I mean, is he still concussed from that headbutt? I, I don't know what, between his style of play and Anthony Davis sitting on the three-point line pretty much the whole night, you know, either the fix is literally in or those are two broken teams right now because, uh, I mean, Portland kind of had their way. They didn't have the best game. I mean, it's not like Dame shot the lights out. Nobody on that team shot the lights out. They just kind of plugged away, played their game. And the Lakers, 
look, look, we expect we sat here on Monday and said that might be a 225 point game, you know, in terms of the over under when you're when you're in betting lines. Wasn't even close. It was about a buck ninety five. And, you know, that generally speaks to the Lakers. If the, if the Lakers can control the points of Portland, they should be winning these games with ease. LeBron put up ridiculous stats. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, it's one game. I, I'm not here to overreact on a huge series, you know, and say that the Lakers are done. But that's exactly what we're going to do today. And that's why I brought you in. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to ignore the Milwaukee Bucks situation for now, although there's plenty to get to at some point, especially if there's another loss in their future. But let's stick with the Lakers. And, and let's just overreact to the point of they lose this series. They're out. LeBron's first ever first round exit. You know, it's embarrassing. It's a nightmare. It puts the Clippers in focus in L.A. I mean, there's just so many things to unpack if that happens. But the one thing that I want to focus on is Anthony Davis because he's got a player option next year. Um, he stands to make about a million and a half more than he did this year on, on his player option. And we're in a revenue down season, of course. Every sports league is going to deal with this, which means the cap is probably going to drop. Uh, unpack that that situation for me. The Anthony Davis's player option. Let's say the Lakers bow out in the first round, and it's now on into, into off season mode for the Lakers. What are we talking about with Anthony Davis? Yeah, he's going to have a decision to make. Does he want to opt out or does he want to opt in? His, like you said, his player option is twenty eight point seven million dollars right now. So him knowing the cap situation is is very important to determine whether he opts in at that 28.7 or does he opt out and try to go uh, for more money than that? Let me stop you right but, there because I, I know the timing of when the cap numbers are released is very important. Generally speaking, that that's done before the opt out deadline. But is I mean, do you have any idea of I mean, this is going to be extremely crammed together. We're going to have a draft. We're going to have a, free, uh, you know, a moratorium, a free agency. It's all going to be in a matter of like eight days, if I can remember properly, yeah. in the middle of October there. Uh, is he going to have ample time to do the math here and, and figure this out? Uh, you know, or, or let me ask you this question. Does it really even matter? It does matter from a, a financial sense in his. If he, I mean, he could stand to lose or gain a million dollars up or down. Um, his player option is due to be accepted or denied by October 14th. Uh, usually when the cap numbers come out, it's usually in this case going to be October 15th or 16th. It's usually a bang, bang situation. So if this was a normal free agency, uh, these numbers would be coming out on June 29th, June 30th, and then the moratorium happens and people know, the teams know going so, ahead. So it. are you saying he's going to make his decision before the cap numbers are released? There's a good chance that that may happen. Well, I'm, calling, I'm calling BS may. on that. <laughs> that so, sucks for these players. So what what's going to happen is right now, I mean, we, we've been projecting uh, 115 for the cap in 2020. We know that's probably not going to be the case. Um, at 115, he's up in the 32 million range. If we drop it down. You're talking about say, a, a next max contract. A next max contract right. with 
whether it's the Lakers or somebody else. Mm -hmm. So his, his break even is around 96 million. If the cap drops to that amount, because his 30% of the max would be about 28, eight around there. So if the cap falls below that $96 million threshold, he's going to want to opt in because he's already making more than that would be. Um, if it stays north of the 96, say it stays at the 109, then he's going to want to opt out and sign for a larger first year salary that's greater than the 28.8 that his player option would be. Um, but the double edged sword is if that cap drops and he opts out, that means there's less teams with cap space than there would be now to even have a chance at signing him. But again, there is the option of signing trades that we've been down a million times. There's uh, in the Lakers could use assets if they wanted to trade him. Um, if we went doomsday here, uh, but it, everything is really dependent on that cap. And like I said, in previous times, we have really no indication what that is going to be because they're, they're waiting to see how much money, how many games, uh, whatever revenue last minute that they can get in there t- for it to count towards this cap. Okay. Yeah, you, you'd certainly unpacked a lot there. Let's let me dial it back a little bit quickly. We have a metric. We've had it for a couple of years now. We've optimized it a little bit this year. We have a metric for MBA on spot track called practical cap space, which essentially means it is the amount of cap that w- would become available to an MBA team if they released all of their non-guaranteed salaries if they rescinded all of their cap holds and they literally just had a roster full of their guaranteed salaries for an upcoming year. So it's the bare bones version of a team stripping away everything that's not guaranteed. If the cap drops to 95, so a $20 million lower projection than than we have on the site right now, the highest amount of cap space (laughs) would be about... $30 $30 million Atlanta Hawks. What I'm saying is zero teams would have the ability to max anybody over a 30% threshold is what I'm saying. And then build a roster around that, even with minimum thresholds and exceptions, things like that. So we are not in a situation where Anthony Davis can just float into free agency and have his pick of the crop. Not even close. I'm not even sure there's a single team now, you know, there's work to do. You can make some trades to free up space. Obviously, it's, it's a timing game. But just from a, a bare bones, strip it all down and try to sign this guy to a max contract, there, are, there might be zero teams who can right now foundationally do that. So while basically in any other offseason, with really with any other sport, control, you know, controlling your destiny would be a very important thing. I'm not sure it is right now. I think your last point is maybe your best point. And oh, by the way, he just did this with New Orleans, right? He basically said, I'm here, but I ain't going to play for you. And you're going to trade me exactly where I want to go. And, and you know, whether or not you get the package back you want is your problem. Um, if the Lakers bow out in the first round and Anthony Davis is not a factor or let me be the first to tell you this. LeBron is not going to be happy. <laughs> okay. Le- LeBron doesn't handle teammates well at all. We've seen it multiple times. You're either on his team or you're not. 
and you can fall out of favor with him very, very quickly. And he will, his body language will tell us what's going on. He is not, he is not shy about showing his displeasure for a coach or a player on his team. That's, that's for sure. And if Anthony Davis is not, if, if he's a problem like he was yesterday, I think he was a problem. You know, his numbers were fine, but he did not help that team in any way push to the top of that scoreboard. So I do believe um, that he will, this will be a contentious situation if the Lakers bow out and LeBron may have something to do with this, but I think you're right. I think the, the right approach is opt in. Even if you stand to lose a million dollars, you know what I mean? If the cap drops to 90 and your, your opt in is essentially, or excuse me, let's say the cap drops to a hundred, right? So you, you could technically make more by opting out and resigning. Screw it. You opt in, you put the, you put the onus on the Lakers to say, all right, go find me a place to go. I'm going to try this somewhere else with, you know, a situation that works better for me. I can't believe I'm saying this. I know this sounds ridiculous to everybody probably out there right now because six months ago in March, we were absolutely praising this duo, this LeBron and Anthony Davis duo, but there's no secret that this bubble, the, the Lakers offense has been a disaster. They're either trying to do too much or too little. It's certainly not clicking. It certainly didn't click yesterday. Uh, you know, lean into the fact that we're, we're overreacting here, but look, there's some merit to what we're saying in terms of this off season, right? Yeah, absolutely. And if you look at the Lakers roster for next season right now, <laughs> it's pretty much the same. I mean, outside of Anthony Davis's player option, there's four other players with player options. If yeah. they all opt in, you essentially have the same Laker team that you have right now and they're going to be over the cap. So they would have to spend on exceptions or minimum salaries once again, unless they were able to flip, flip some players for trades to bring in some people. But essentially Le- uh, LeBron James and Anthony Davis would be playing with the essential same roster that they're playing with right now. What is Kuzma's financial situation? Is he rookie extendable this year or is that after next year? Uh, he would be after this year. So, after the so he's season, one of those players so. that is probably not going to sign. I mean, there's no reason to sign an extension after this season, knowing the cap's going to drop and, you, and your extension will be tied to that cap. Correct. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, 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 he's probably better off waiting to see unless he really loves the Lakers and really wants to be there long term. But um, I mean, he stands to make three point five million next season and then he'd be a restricted free agent. Um, so that means teams could offer uh, offer a contract to him with the cap space that they have and the Lakers would have the right to match it. Uh, but the Lakers would have his bird rights to sign him over, uh, keep him over the cap. Uh, so there, there, there's a couple different dynamics that could go on there. It's going to be up to hit it. Well, it's more up to the Lakers if they want to offer him an extension for one. Um, so, but the, that Lakers team, next season. Yeah. Like I said, it, it looks very similar to what you're looking at right now on the court. Um, so it's going to be a matter of does, does LeBron and AD want to play with those same uh, caliber players mm-hmm. or is LeBron going to force management's hand and say, we need to do what I did in, in Cleveland and completely regut this thing as best as possible. I just tr- making trades. And I, I don't know if it's feasible, but I don't either. Not with this cap situation we're talking about. And oh, by the way, uh, you know, you know, 
He's got 2020 left. I'm talking about LeBron here. He's got 2020 locked in. Then he's got himself a player option in 2021. So we could be talking about LeBron in this same breath in 12, you know, in, in 18 months. You know, if he's if this is still not a situation where he can win a championship, um, and I'm not saying it's not right now. There's there's a very good chance that they run through and shut us all up with the championship we're on right now. But, uh, you know, it's not like this is locked in for three years and locking in Anthony Davis with LeBron is imperative. LeBron's not here for four more years. He's here for one more year, maybe. Right. It's one more year locked in and then a player option. So he has all the power in 2022 to say what happens to himself and the Lakers. So in that regard, opting in for Anthony Davis, either way is probably the best move either way, because you align yourself with, with LeBron's contract. And like you just said, the rest of the Lakers are locked in. There's really just no, there's no easy way to restructure this entire roster outside of trading Kuzma and a bunch of more draft picks and trying to bring somebody back at, at, at face value. But this is going to be the team next year. You know, 75% chance the team we're seeing right now in the Lakers uniform is going to be the same team next year. You know, maybe Rondo retires. I, I don't know how that's going to go. Avery Bradley, we'll see. But, you know, and certainly those are pieces that are missing right now. But yeah, you're right. This is not an easy fix if they bow out in the first round. So it's not just about Anthony Davis for the Lakers, although that's certainly the storyline. Man, but here's what I keep thinking. In any other free agent season, I mean, we just had a free agent where there were 15 great players available. I mean, we had a, it, it was a carousel of superstars being tossed around the league from July to August last last summer. Couldn't be more different this year leading up to free agency, obviously, because of when free agency is, but also the, the amount of players in a normal setting. Anthony Davis walks into free agency as the clear number one. I mean, he is courted by 29 other teams flown around on private jets, you know, handed steaks and uh, steaks and chops pretty much at every city and given the tour, whatever he wants, but, but everything, the reasons we just laid out the finance, the financials of this league right now are going to force him to at least opt in, in my opinion. And then, like I said, become tradable. And I'd be remiss to finish this conversation without an, without a guess. (laughs) I have my team. I wonder if you have your team. Is there a, is there a fit from a trade perspective for Anthony Davis in 2021? Or are we mm. on the same page, maybe? Mike? Well, I, I know who you want. Let's just talk I, about I, it then. Let's talk yeah, about let's it. Yeah, let's do it. Because this team has a veteran point guard, which, boy, we've seen yep. how much that matters. Kids that can shoot, kids that play hard, and a big man that's expendable may even be a free agent himself or might have a player option himself. I, I, I need to look on this before I speak out of turn here. Actually, maybe you could tell me that one. All right. The team I'm talking about here is the Oklahoma City Thunder. And oh, by the way, they have about nine first round picks over the next six seasons. So a- Adams. Yeah. Adams will be uh, a free agent in 2021. Okay. So he's got one more year ne- this upcoming season. Okay. So that works for me. That works for me because Steven Adams then could become the piece that moves to the Lakers for Anthony Davis. That would match your finances pretty close. It would. And, you know, you're dealing with draft picks and maybe some some uh, some smaller players to throw in to make it more of a blockbuster move if you had to. But Steven Adams and for Anthony Davis, you know, and then plus plus some assets 
that works. And oh, by the way, Steven Adams on that Lakers team, that sounds pretty damn good to me <laughs> because a guy who can rip boards down and is, de- is a defensive you know, juggernaut that, that keeps LeBron out of the paint a little bit here, which is supposed to be what Anthony Davis is going to do. And oh, by the way, he's going to be doing this in game two. He's going to be a five in game two. You might as well just change his number to five, his jersey number, because he's going to be the center in game two. They are not going to let him mill around the three-point line against this Portland team any longer. Uh, you wouldn't have that problem with Steven Adams. He, he comes in. He replaces JaVale McGee. He replaces, you know, the... the Dwight this, Howard. This, yes. And, and he's cost control for one year. Uh, again, align that with, you know, the LeBron situation and, and his player option in 2022. So, you know, OKC's got picks to move. They've got a situation where you could have Chris Paul, Shea Gilgis Alexander, Gallinari possibly, if you bring him back into the fold, and then Anthony Davis as your, you know, younger more flexible big man. It's a pretty darn good team in OKC. It's already a pretty darn good team, but I think that makes them better. It's a change of pace for Anthony Davis. It's a better fit, I think, from a stylistic standpoint. And I do think the Lakers would take Steven Adams on a one-year contract. I I know this is ridiculous. They lost one game to Portland. We have now gone 20 minutes on overreaction Wednesday. But is this not the, the, the this is not the worst idea ever, right? No, not at all. And if you did that, I mean, that's a hell of a big three between SGA, Paul and Davis, if you were able to pull that off and, and crazier things have happened. Yeah. We said it, Westbrook, Chris Paul, we saw Chris, yeah. Chris Paul was untradeable and look, he got traded yeah, and, for Westbrook. and it was, <laughs> and it was overnight and all of a sudden it happened. And you know, if, if the Lakers are out early, everything's on the table. Sam Look, Presti listen, loves these kind of moves. He loves actually, blockbuster moves. And and if they think they are, say they get out of the first round by beating Houston, they didn't really show up yesterday, but say they somehow get out of the first round or in, or they're out in the first round. They, they are probably one, one and a half players from being that upper echelon team. Yeah. Uh, with, with the way things have they've been playing. That's the that's a reason the Lakers don't do it, though, right? How good do you make OKC with this move? You, well, <laughs> great point. That, that is a great point, but I'll, I'll flip on this. We talked about the other day how the league wants teams to build through the draft. Yep. The Lakers, if you look at their roster right now, I think they have one player that they've drafted, and that's Kyle Kuzma. They shipped everybody else out. Uh, and, and maybe Caruso, I, I can't remember. Maybe he was drafted too. Um, but yeah, they ha- they they need the assets to you know build back through the draft. That they they can't be signing old one year vet minimums to aging players and think they're going to compete in and out. Especially as LeBron has said, you know the young guard looks good. With, with all these young players, Tatum, Mitchell, um, yeah. you know. It's so they, funny you just said that, Scott. I just quickly went to an NBA mock draft because it's ridiculous Wednesday now, right? Uh, you know, they've got the Lakers 28th right now, which, boy, they could, they'd be a lot higher with a first-round exit. Trey Jones, point guard from Duke. <laughs> that falls right into your conversation, right? Yeah. So there we go. Um and they right. need a point guard. Look at we fixed the NBA in, in 20 minutes. Anthony Davis is going to opt in and demand a sign and trade <laughs> to Oklahoma City for Steven Adams and picks. All right. What did you do today? <laughs> <laughs> That's what coffee can do for you in the morning right there. That's good stuff. All right. Look, at we're going to have a lot more NBA 
you know, free agency, these rookie extension conversations, you know, options. There's, there's actually a handful of players, you know, really interesting and notable names who have options, which they're going to have these kind of conversations over the next couple of weeks, because you're right, not knowing the cap situation and with teams just not going to have, they're not going to have the cap space to outright sign these players. Um, you know, what happens with Gordon Hayward? Is he back for, you know, he's on the shelf for another month now. He's certainly going to opt in. I mean, you're not going to throw $30 million away just because you're hurt. Um, I feel bad that he's made $120 million from from Boston and basically hasn't played. But, you know, those kind of names are going to have, you know, the options are going to be sitting there. Teams are going to have to take him on. To me, that just seems like this is going to be a trade bonanza. And you're going to have to, you know, we'll take on your terrible option contract for our terrible option contract because maybe it's a smaller, better fit. That's exactly the conversation we just had. You know, if this Anthony Davis experiment just doesn't work out and they bounce out, LeBron doesn't have time to waste. LeBron's not thinking what's good for the Lakers in five years. That doesn't mean a damn thing to him right now. He wants to win a championship this year. He wants to win one next year. And we'll see about 2022 on that player option. So if it doesn't work, if AD doesn't show up in the postseason, we've seen this before, uh, LeBron's going to get him the hell out of town. <laughs> and he's going to be having the same conversation we just had with, uh, with the Lakers front office. So I, I know it's an overreaction. I know it's ridiculous. We're probably going to watch the Lakers run the table now and win the <laughs> whole damn thing. But it's interesting. There's a big financial backing to it. It's all tied to this cap drop, which is certainly going to happen to some degree. And uh, what do you think? Final thoughts. Yeah, and you mentioned the Lakers 28th. Tomorrow is the NBA draft lottery. So there you go. Some, some Wait, but how does that work? Change. How does that work? It's just the lottery picks that, uh, what, Golden State all the way down to Memphis. So all those odds are there. So they, they do their Okay, ESPN so, so last, last team out of the bubble then gets the worst odds for the lottery? Is that how it runs this year? Right. Okay. So Golden State, Cleveland, Minnesota all have the same odds for the number one pick. But like I said, I bring it up because it, it is newsworthy that it's happening tomorrow. We're only two two days into the playoffs, so we're, we'll have that. But the fact that teams are going to know where they are in the lottery for the next two months can help decide these trades when they're allowed to – facilitate trades and and they collectively bargain all that other stuff that has to happen but th- this could mean golden state gets the number one pick and do they keep it do they do they you're trade right. it or you're right who does a team like the, the knicks or chicago or some of those teams that are in between there end up getting into the top three and one of those teams at the top falls out I mean, it, it, it does make a difference, especially if you're going to uh, float those picks as trade options moving forward. And Boston has two picks. So <laughs> they're dangerous. Sorry, does Boston have three picks? Oh, my goodness. This is going to be fun. You're right. Yeah. So I mean, these are big the Lakers, teams that can move. You're right. Yeah, the Lakers are, have their one pick. Philadelphia, that's a team that's in trade consideration. We've talked about this before. They're going to be blowing it up at some point, I I would have to imagine. Uh, You know, this is not just going to be about bad teams getting better. You're right. Golden State could hold that number one pick, and then it's just a gigantic what if. I can't imagine they're selecting LaMelo Ball, right? (laughs) That that just doesn't seem to fit for me. So, yeah, this is – tomorrow's an interesting day. It's a very important day for a lot of NBA teams and not just the bad ones. 
Well, and that's a team, the Warriors, who don't usually have ample time, at least from Steve Kerr's standpoint, Smart. to look at these draft picks really in depth leading up. I mean, usually they're finishing or they're, you know, they're in the playoffs and we're having this draft lottery. And then the draft happens, you know, a week after the end of the season, which or after the finals, which they've been in. So he's had ample time to really study these these draft prospects to see which one is going to fit well with them or not fit well with them. You know, like we mentioned, they could potentially flip that for somebody a la Giannis or someone we've talked or about a that boatload of future picks or a boatload of future picks. You know yeah. what I mean? Because that might be the smarter move here. Cause you're right. This is not a team that needs a number All one right. pick right now. Or does one of those big three go? I mean, does, does or, Draymond go? Or does the conversation that we not that they're going to do it AD? in the Western Conference? Stop but it, AD. <laughs> I, hey, like I said, crazier things have happened. If they get that number one pick, not that LeBron LeBron doesn't like if it happens players I, like that. If that happens, I have got to have Draymond Green on the Lakers. That has got to happen. Yeah, you would think he'd probably the won't be the one to get flipped. I, I'm not saying it's happening, but. Yeah, we like can't I have said, this conversation. Multiple times. <laughs> Crazier things have happened, but that draft lottery, it's going to be important tomorrow to see where some of these teams land. Very important. I'm, I'm voting for the Warriors because the storylines kind of write themselves for sure. They do. Right, good yeah. stuff, Scott. Thanks. Thanks. Have you ever wanted to take a shot at getting the $12,000 Michael Jordan rookie card or a $1,600 autographed Tom Brady helmet for a fraction of the price? Hip Parade is the premier authentic autographed sports memorabilia mystery box manufacturer in the country. Take a shot at getting an autographed item from the biggest names in all of sports. Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, Zion Williamson, Mike Trout, and plenty more. Get your box today at Hip Parade's exclusive online provider, dacardworld.com. That's dacardworld.com. No one has more hits than Hip Parade. All right, we're going to bring in Cousin Dan, talk some fantasy baseball. Here's the first question. How's it been as a fantasy baseball player in a COVID-19 season? Uh, To put it lately, pretty crazy. I mean, anyone who's played has probably had a pretty challenging year, I would assume. So, yeah. Is it uh, it the roster moves? Is it the injuries? Is it every... I mean, what's standing out the most to you right now? Well, I think think to start, a lot of people had done drafts um, prior to COVID, so they were doing a lot of um, research leading up to that. And then with the delay in the season, so many things from injuries to, you know, who was even going to play in the league have, have sort of changed on the fly. So I think um, a lot of, a lot of, I mean, some, some people even five, six months worth of preparation work. um, I mean, sort of down the drain or at least, you know, delayed and changed on the fly. So um, I think that had something to do with it, and um, people really just didn't know how to handle this this season coming into it. So um, that parlayed with injuries for sure has been um, has has made it really challenging. So I'm going to imagine many of these leagues just folded because the semantics and the unknowns were probably too much to handle. I know we had a few that we were we were in that basically just disbanded for at least the season. How did you handle having those rosters already drafted? I mean, you know, we, there were opt-outs. There were, you know, new injuries that popped up. Um, was it kind of just a restart? Did you redraft or were, were moves allowed? You know, was there com- some commissioner, uh, you know, litigation set into place to kind of clean things up? I imagine that was ugly. 
Yeah, I, I think a lot of local leagues kind of paused this season, like what you talked about with numerous leagues that you and I are together did not renew this year and kind of pause things until next year. Um, what, I think what I'm talking about is uh, like a lot of high stakes players will play like NFBC or, mm-hmm. or um, like a high stakes format like that. And um, you, you can you can essentially start drafting the day after the world series, or I, I could be wrong on the timeline of that, but you can, you can start in November, December drafting. So, um, a lot of people are, had started drafting that early. Um, in my instance, I play in a lot of draft and hold leagues, which you draft, um, an entire 50 man roster and you make no moves throughout the season. So you kind of have to, um, sort of encapsulate any potential injuries or things like that. So we, I had already drafted a number of those and they had made the decision to keep, um, you know, it really, the league itself didn't change because, you know, you, you, you can't make any roster moves as it is. So your team is your team. So, um, they opt to keep those as, um, um, stagnant. So I, I know some other leagues, um, more high stakes leagues had redrafted or something along those lines, but, um, yeah, it's definitely been, um, I, I mean, the entire industry, just, just like sports has, has had to adjust the entire fantasy industry has had to adjust. And, um, you know, you got a lot of small, small people like you and I who, who put their money into this and, and want answers and, and the fantasy guys, um, you know, I got to give them credit for, for navigating us through this. Cause I, it really wasn't, um, wasn't easy on any format, you know, the, the delay of the season and the transition into how we're going to move forward. So. All right, great. So that's more of like the administrative stuff, right? Let's talk about the gameplay itself. Uh, you know, there were rule changes. Obviously we had expanded rosters you know, which to some degree has shortened starting pitching. Uh, I'll let you pick. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with DHs, which I'm sure have impacted fantasy to some degree? Do you want to start with starting pitching, which, you know, less innings plus tons of more injuries? I mean, that's where the injuries, the injury bug has really hit, has to be impacting your, your day to day. Um, let's stay in the, in the fantasy leagues right now, and then we'll get into some DFS stuff at the end of this conversation. All right. Yeah. Um, I mean, with, with pitching, it, it's, I mean, the, the difference between pitching and hitting it, early on, it looks like pitchers are way ahead of um, where the hitters are, but maybe not physically. I, I speak to that more in terms of um, like the, the injuries have went bad poorly. So it, it's probably right to say that they need players need that extended um, spring, oh, yeah. spring training, but in terms of the level of competition, it seems like the pitchers are are far ahead of where the batters are at. Now, whether that's timing or, you know, players not getting batters, not getting the reps that they needed in it's, I guess it's, we may never know, but um, it seems early on that pitcher pitchers are way ahead. So let's, let's play on that, Dan, because I know, I know you kind of do more research maybe than the average Joe in terms of this stuff. Are you identify trying to identify players who aren't streaky, who don't go through hills and valleys with their hitting? Because it seems you're right; it's a shortened season. It's a 60 game season here. We're basically halfway done for, to some degree. Um, you know, how much is that playing into it? More of a you know, you'll take a guy who doesn't bat 300, but if he bats 275 and you know he's a hit a day kind of player, that's probably a better approach this year. Because you're right; you don't have that marathon to sort of even things out, right? Right. Yeah. I- I think a lot of people probably did focus on that getting less streaky hitters. Um, but on the flip side of that, in a, in the sprint season, if you catch the, catch the lightning in the bottle on the other side of that, 
you know, and somebody tears it up for, for six, seven weeks, then, I mean, you're pretty much going to win your league. So I mean, but that, like a Joey Gallo or somebody like that in a normal season where it all evens out, he, he's going to be a good player long-term in a shorter season. He's, he's more of a boomer bust guy. Same thing with Jose Ramirez, Frankie Lindor. Those kind of guys are notorious slow starters, but you know, the last two years, Jose Ramirez has put up one of the best second halves um, in the entire league. So I, I know exactly what you're saying. I personally don't weigh that and take that into consideration too much. Maybe I should more than I have, but um, I, I think you're just guessing at a certain, you know, with streaky hitters, you're, you're just hoping you pick the right end of their, their hot streak or cold streak. So um, yeah, not, not too much emphasis on that. Yeah. The, the team aspect is interesting as well. I mean, you know, I don't think anyone had the Rockies and the Cubs as far up the, the ladder as they've climbed so far, you know, and, and in, in any normal season, if this is, if this is June, right. In a normal season, we're all golfing at them because, because we know they're coming back down to earth. We know the pitching just isn't there to sustain except for, like I said, this season's halfway done. There's 30 games left for a lot of these teams to, to you know, give or take. They're going to be there. I mean, they're going to be in this expanded postseason. They're going to be there. Actually, that's a point I want to bring up too. When, when are these leagues going to cut off? Is it is it? Are you going to give yourself a break a week before that regular season ends? Because it could be just a disaster to, to finish off some of the season with so many with so many teams in the postseason. You know, there's not going to be too many teams fighting for the 16th spot or or whatever it's going to be. Uh, do you have to treat it kind of like an NFL season where those last few, maybe six games or so are going to be just a, a bunch of reserves? Um, I mean, in, if you were in like a, if you're in a head to head league right now, potentially, I don't really think anyone did head to head leagues with, you know, I mean, what is it? A six week would have been six weeks and two weeks of playoffs, something like that. So I don't think anyone's really doing head to head right now. Um, no. Yeah. So shifting over to Roto, um, I, I would assume people are still handling it. I, I know my leagues are all still going right through the end of the year where you can either make daily or, or weekly, weekly moves. So um, even if guys sit out or it gets squirrely near the end of the year, it, you, you still have it's it's just another factor you have to have to take into consideration, just like any other year, though. So nothing this year specifically changes with that. Yeah. I would imagine the injuries have been piling up, though. There's no question as I input this stuff every single morning. I, I, I made it a, a running joke with you to kind of send a list of four players that hit the IL that are notable. I mean, it's not like these are no-namers hitting the IL, whether that's a COVID list or just a flat-out, you know, a knee, an arm, an elbow. We're kind of seeing everything right now. Shoulder fatigue is kind of the big one. That's the Those are, those are the buzzwords of this season. I can tell you right now, everybody's got it. Uh, and it's because, you mentioned, there just wasn't that ramp-up period, something the NBA did really well, I think. And their league's been sustainable now because of it. I'm, I'm worried for colder weather. <laughs> you know, I'm worried. I'm worried that more injuries are on the way for sure. So, uh, look, it, it's been. I'm sure it's been a crapshoot for you. Let's switch to the daily side of it. I know you do quite a bit of that with a, a bunch of the sports. And uh, you know, you were starved for it on the hiatus. You were. You were kind of. <laughs> you were going off the board. Let's put it that way with your daily daily fantasy sports choice. <laughs> um, I won't go down that rabbit hole, but. I imagine you're back into the baseball swing of it. I mentioned a couple of those teams, the Rockies, the Cubs. Is it just a matter of riding the hot hand right now? I mean, are you not even trying to pick value in daily fantasy right now? I will say this has been a tough year for me in uh, daily fantasy for sure. Just, just figuring out how to, how to go about it. I, I'll, I will point out the main change has definitely been the DH here where it's been less, um, you know, it really hasn't affected 
uh, season long leagues, in my opinion. But typically, uh, especially an NL team at home, you know, not guaranteed that, you know, nine at nine at bats um, and the DH there. Those were offenses typically you would sort of want to avoid. But um, now with the DH there and more potential for offense, it's definitely changed the entire dynamic there um, in terms of NL teams. Um, in terms of the other stuff, I, I, I'm not even going to box myself into having a rhyme or reason. It's been, the slates have been kind of goofy where you have a ton of high end pitchers and, um, which makes you not want to play any offenses on the slate, um, versus slates with really garbage pitching and too many options on offense. So it's, I found it personally, I found it very hard to to narrow things down and get my player pool down to a more, uh, more focused group. It's interesting. One of the things I've noticed, I'm sure you have as well, because you, you stack these lineups every day. Weather hasn't been a problem at all. I mean, we've only had what two or three actual rainouts the, the postponements have been COVID related really almost exclusively. So, you know, starting a season this time of year has been beneficial for that. There's a little bit more consistency in that regard, right? Yeah, I would say we've lucked out. Have I mean, the MLB has lucked out heavily, too, in terms of the weather stuff, because if the weather stuff compounded the COVID stuff, I, I really don't know how they would they would squeeze in all these games. But, yeah, the weather stuff has actually been going good, in my opinion. I will say the one caveat of that is when there is rain in the forecast, it's been hard to predict what teams will do with delays because the MLB came out saying they don't want teams sitting in the clubhouse for three, four hours during a rain delay that they would rather just end the game and then push that to the next game as part of like a day night doubleheader, or, you know, a suspended game situation. The issue with DFS is that if a game gets suspended and you're playing those players, I mean, technically if a game gets suspended in the fifth inning and you have Nelson Cruz who hit three home runs and that game gets suspended and moved to the next day, all of your lineup spots are dead. So um, that I, I will say with the weather, that's been a little bit tricky to navigate. If there is rain in the forecast, typically you would, you would trust if it's just going to be a delay or if you think it will get postponed. But this year, like uh, for instance, the twins a couple nights ago, I think it was Monday um, had like very little rain in the forecast, but they, they canceled the game. Like, I don't know, an hour into a rain delay, something like that. And um, a lot of people got bit on the DFS side about that because uh, they, they had played a bunch of twins and expected the game to play, even if there was a small delay. But, um, you know, things things didn't work out like that, which is uh, part of the risk. So, yeah. But yeah, otherwise, the yeah. weather's been the weather's been a, a godsend, in my opinion, for the for how this is all playing out for sure. Yeah, and I'm going to I'm going to guess that, you know, not many people were have been bit by the Marlins situation because I'm guessing that wasn't a huge fantasy draft draw nor was it a dfs draw from for the most part um even though they they sit atop the nl east right now unbelievably but here's how i want to finish with you because you know it's all about picking value it's all about picking the no-namers but sometimes the stars prevail as well you're league leaders right now in hitting and in pitching i i know from a pitching standpoint you probably had that nailed down pretty well because shane bieber uh, on your cleveland indians is pretty much running the table um, I, you know, Lance Lynn has a, has a one, one, one ERA. He's, he's the earned run average leader right now in Texas, which I don't think that's going to last too much longer, but saves the saves leader right now, Dan is Zach Britton from the, from the Yankees. 
he wasn't even the freaking closer to start the year. So, I mean, you can't even imagine how that's worked out from a fantasy standpoint. And then, of course, on the, you know, on the hitting side of it, it's Charlie Blackman kind of in your average categories and everything else is Tatis Jr. is <laughs> Fernando. I mean, he's, he now leads in stolen bases, home runs and RBIs. And, uh, you know, I'm not, he's, he's obviously not even the most notable San Diego Padre. And first of all, you got to get yourself to look at the San Diego Padres, let alone, you know, and then look past Manny Machado. So uh, I'm guessing all this is quite a surprise starting at the top with Blackman, right? Um, yeah, I, I think the top of the board. Well, first of all, let's start with your closer point. Closer is an absolute dumpster fire. Has to be worse it, than ever. Has to be. I mean, if, and it's extremely tilting also because even if guys who weren't injured, you know, like Josh Hader was expected to get all these saves, yeah. and I, I don't think he has one save this year. Somebody else has scooped him up. And Kirby Yates is on the IL now, but even Pomeranz was, you know, he was siphoning saves at the beginning of the year. So, I mean, Roberto Ozuna, Ken Giles, like all these guys that got drafted as top closers um, are essentially worth nothing right now. So if you have somehow managed to dodge – um, you know, any landmines with closers, you're, you're probably sitting really well right now. Are you at a point in, in, you know, Roto leagues where you just want to throw saves out the window? Is that a stat that should start to not count anymore? I no, I, I, Oh, I mean, long-term, if you want to talk about whether it should be saves or saves plus holds, that's a different conversation. In in terms of this year, I mean, you, a lot of stuff I have seen and read, you you really can't win a league if you completely punt saves. You need so much other stuff to go perfectly right for you that um, you, you can't completely ignore it. Now, so I'm, I, I'm actually saying, Dan, from a league's perspective, a league setup perspective, is the save so impossible to predict now or, or even research that we should just get rid of it as a, as a metric in, yeah, in fantasy I, baseball? I think it's a valid, I think it's a totally valid conversation. You see it a lot now where, where people will target one or two bona fide closers and then start to target the setup guy, you know, like Seth Lugo, perfect example this year. He was a guy, a lot of people targeted as, you know, if Edwin Diaz has another, you know, poor start to the season, Seth Lugo has proven experience. They have other guys in that bullpen who, who can come in and close for them. Um, you know, Dylan Batances, he was another one, you know, in deep, deep leagues, people, people focused on guys like that because of the potential opportunity behind it. So yeah, I think you're, I think you're right there that, um, I, I just think I mean, I, you're not going to see too many, too many 40 save guys anymore. You're going to see, it's going to be a shared option. It's going to be the running back by committee situation soon. Many of these teams are already taking that approach. You can still use those guys to reduce your whip and your ERA. You know what I mean? I mean, they're still valuable to your roster to some degree, but bringing, bringing in a, a potential 40 save closer just to me is, is just a dying art at this point. Absolutely. Yeah. And on the flip side of that, if you have a closer who just gets you saves, but has a seven twelve ERA and a 2.5 gets blown up three times. Yep. Yeah. I mean, first of all, he's not going to last in that spot very long, but second of all, I mean, that's, that's just crushing your ratio. So on the flip side of that, if, if you get a a bona fide setup guy who is just lights out, I mean, that, although he doesn't get saves, but, but could have the potential to, to get you saves. I mean, that is hugely valuable. If somebody's crushing ratios, giving you tons of strikeouts and just flat out doesn't give you saves, then, you know, he, in my opinion, that's more valuable than the, than the dumpster fire closer. But, um, Hmm. that, that could easily be debated. I'm sure. Uh, the DA going to stage for stay for good here. DH. 
I I think they're going to have a hell of a time trying to get rid of it now. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I, I don't it's almost just been a natural transition. I mean, I follow this very closely and I've heard almost no one bring it up as a problem or they, Oh, they wish, you know, they wish it was the way it was last year. I haven't seen that at all. So I, I think, um, I think it's here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, from a baseball perspective, generally speaking, you know, your DH is going forward are going to be guys who have aged out a little bit, aged out of being able to play defense, you know, but they're, they had, they were either at one point or maybe still are considered superstars in the league. You know, your pool holes is your, your, uh, I mean, my God, Nelson Cruz year after year, it just continues to be a story. You know, you want those kind of things to be able to be available in both leagues. And of course, from a fantasy standpoint, it's better, right? I mean, we want, we want home runs. We want extra base hits. That's essentially where much of your pop in the lineup comes from. I just think it's good for, for the marketing of baseball, you know, the viewability of baseball on TV, and you want these guys to have more longevity. That's what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I agree with all of that. I will say the man on second in extra innings thing has been a little <laughs> bit goofy, especially DFS wise. You're just like praying nobody gets to, um, extra innings. Cause then it turns into a, Oh, it, it super interesting. Into a I'm so football. glad you brought this up because you know, you and I have had beers over should, overtime hockey stats count. You know what I mean? Like, like shootouts and things like that. Like how, how do you, how do you bring that into the fantasy world? Is that where we're going with this overtime, these overtime rules, man on second, you know, knock them over, bring them in. Like, should those RBIs count even though they're basically handed to you right there? Oh yeah. I mean, I think you have to, because you know, that can affect who gets a win and things like that. Um, but, or, or save what, you know what I'm trying to say? I, I don't, I don't know how I feel about it. I, I appreciate the strategy part of it. Some will argue there's almost no strategy. Teams just do the same thing in, in extra innings, but I, I appreciate that side of it. At the same time, I would sort of like them to get an inning or two, like, like a few innings, almost like a modified um, NHL version where you have yeah. three on three <clears throat> overtime before you go straight to the shootout to finish it. So maybe the 10th the tenth and the 11th inning or something like that is just a straight, you know, normal, normal baseball game. And then you put the runner on second. Um, I bet that's exactly maybe, where it ends up, Dan. I, I bet that's the compromise. First. Maybe you just put him on first and that totally, I mean, a runner on first, no outs. Yeah, it's still valuable, but it's totally different than a runner on second and no outs. So I, I, I would think they go that one of those two routes where they kick, they kick it back to like starting in maybe the 12th inning or something like that, or they move this, the runner from second over to first and change things a little bit further. But I, I like that um, idea. I like, let's not let it go past 12. You know, if it gets to 12, then we put this little gimmick in and, and finish this thing off, you know, for the most part. I mean, if it goes another inning, God bless them. But uh, it's been pretty successful in terms of, sh- of shutting down, shutting the door on the game, which is look at we're you got, we're huge baseball guys, but I just watched a four and a half hour, nine inning Mets game this week. <laughs> right? I thought Keith Hernandez was going to blow his brains out in the air. He just could not tolerate, um, y- you know, watching that kind of pace of game for nine innings. So we, we just don't want these things to happen. That can't be regular. Right. I, I totally agree. And it seems a little hypocritical to in one breath, say you don't want players interacting with each other yeah. or being around each other in a rain delay yet. 
you know, a guy standing on first is within a foot and a half of the first baseman. So, I mean, I, I don't really think everything is perfectly thought out. I, I like the attempt and, and I think, you know, we, we can't have these 15, 17 inning, no. you know, six and a half hour regular season games. And, you know, this year's a little bit different because everything means more, but um, you know, going forward, I, 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 I'm open to them adjusting rules, even though I like, you know, I'm a little bit old fashioned, but um, yeah, I, I, something, it shouldn't be this going forward. That's my, that's my two cents. All right. Tell us a couple of your secrets to uh, finish this thing off. Who's a, who are a couple of names that you've been using in DFS that have been, uh, you know, reaping you the benefits? Well, I'll sort of um, own myself. I'll, I'll do a self own here because I haven't played them despite me wanting to play them from a game theory perspective. But I think um, the Orioles are, and oh, the Marlins no. are, are, are two teams who have totally surprised people out of the start. In the past, they've been teams you wanted to pick on all day. And um, the Marlins, to a certain degree, you can still pick on them offensively, but they, they have a good young crop of players they're nowhere near ready to um take that next that next step but in my opinion if you've played some marlins and you have played some orioles you have some massive leverage on uh, on the field so but yeah i mean I, when you were talking about surprise players I, the sh- most shocking stat to me when i was preparing for this was anthony santander who i have been watching just crush the ball but he is he's at the top of almost every chart here so he's uh he's a surprising name to keep an eye on are the Padres for real? Um, I think they're for real, but I think the Tommy Pham injury yeah. changes the dynamic of that offense a little bit. Although they do still have a lot of really good young young players that that aren't mainstream yet, so um, I think they might be a year away from like really taking that next step. I think they might need another pitcher or another pitcher to take another step forward. But man, they got a good young team with a with depth in the system and throughout the lineup decent pitching. I, I like them a lot. Yeah. I mean, they're not, I don't think they're, the Dodgers are just ridiculously deep <laughs> and, and, and too good to, to predict otherwise. But if I had to point to a team, it would definitely be the Padres. Yeah. Especially in an expanded playoff year for sure. Um, and just one last thought from you, I'm, I'm going to touch on this a lot more next week as it approaches it, but how do we, how do we handle this trade though? Then I guess from a fantasy perspective too, like I, are you expecting players to move? I mean, are you expecting the Padres to add a pitcher, something they certainly need? Or is it just going to be all bets off because you can't take the risk on the season stopping after you acquire somebody? Or, you know, what's going to happen next year, financially speaking, with with revenue and all that stuff? Uh, what's, your, what's your thoughts there? I, I would lean that trades aren't going to really happen. But that, that's just my... I don't really have any evidence of that but it just seems like teams aren't going to really want to go for it if you will um in this weird season and if they do it would be like a matt boyd who's going to be a free agent at the end of the year and the tigers have nothing to play for even though they've been pretty good but you know by the end of this they probably won't have anything to play for and you want to just get any asset even if that's like a lower level prospect anybody to bring into your system so i could see trades like that happening but do i think like a lindor or you know no, Some you're right. Trade is going to happen. Well, I don't think teams are going to work that stuff out. You know, that's interesting though, because I mean, that's more of a guarantee. You know, you're not trading him for the next three months. You're you're trading him to sign him. That's a Mookie Betts type situation. So I'm not going to rule those kind of moves out. Uh, I apologize, I, but, 
but I also don't think the Indians are, are going to move a player like that right now. They're just they're, they're playing too well and they know what they have heading into a, what could be a good postseason for them. But, you know, I'm looking at teams like Arizona. You know, you know, I know Robbie Ray's been awful, but that's a free agent, a pending free agent. The Reds are starting to slide back down to earth. Trevor Bowers on the on the free agent list. So there, there's some pitchers out there. Pitchers are generally who move during this time of year. And you might see some utility guys move around a little bit as well. But yeah, you're not going to see top prospects go unless it's in a deal like a Lindor. You know, the Dodgers aren't going to move on, on a Bellinger situation yet or anything like that. But, uh, you know, could Jock Peterson, could that move finally happen? Possibly. That could, that could happen if they want to get under the luxury tax threshold. There's still some financial aspects to it all as well. Um, but you're, I, I would imagine, you know, if there were 15 trades to be made in a normal 2020 season, it's probably three or four now. That I think it goes that low. Yeah, I agree. The only thing that would probably inflate that a bit is if more teams are in it and want to go for it this year. You know, in theory, by the deadline, there will be more teams in the in the field. But I um, I agree with you. I, I don't I don't want to say teams aren't taking it seriously because we've obviously seen them. You know, if they're playing through COVID, they're probably taking it seriously. But at the same time, I don't really know if anyone's going to you know, make a mortgage the future type move to, to go for it this year. No, so. especially with a possible strike looming here, too. One team to watch, right, though. That's, yeah, go ahead. That's the thing, too. These, uh, you know, like the Mookie Betts, you know, I know they traded him before COVID, but um, then they signed him recently. And with all the financial unknowns next year, I, I don't think a lot of teams are in position to, um, you know, like like are the Reds going to trade for Frankie Lindor and give him $300 million or whatever it's going to take? I, I, I'm hesitant to um, to believe that right now, maybe in the future or if COVID wasn't a thing, but I, I don't I don't. I can't really get on board with that. So, well, in terms of bets, just you know, in case you're looking for a model, bets took a sixty-five million dollars signing bonus on that deal and deferred over a hundred million of that money. So he is uh, he is strike-proofing himself with that contract. There's no question about it. Right. Um, and speaking of, by the way, with trades, if there's if they're going to happen, Boston might just go right down to the bottom here. So that's a team that could unleash some players just to get themselves you know, clean that roster out, get themselves completely financial free heading into what could be a strike season in 2021. So, you know, that's at least a a name to watch. There's three or four names on that roster that teams would at least listen to. And, uh, you know, they're sliding so fast down the AL East. I think it's possible that you can get some guys out of there. Yeah, you almost have to. I mean, the the pitching staff, woof, that's, that's, it's bad. So yeah, no, I I agree. That's a team that might want to um, sort of shift on the fly here. So all right, Dan, good stuff. Maybe we'll have you back next week and talk a little bit more about this trade stuff as uh, more things become clear. Thanks for your time. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Okay. Very pleased to be joined today by Sports Illustrated senior fantasy analyst and the host of Fantasy Dirt on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio, Michael Fabiano. Mike, thanks for doing this. Welcome to the show. Thank you, my man. Uh, number one, I love the site. It's awesome. I use it all the time. Anytime I need to find out about salaries, the first the first website I went to when I heard about the Travis Kelsey and Greg uh, George Kittle contracts was to spot rack because I wanted to see where these sort of ranked historically because I'm like an historical NFL nut. Like I love that kind of stuff. It's just so interesting to me. Went right to the site, had all the information I needed, man. So uh, I really appreciate you guys putting that site together because it's, it's just super, super useful for me. I appreciate that. That's great stuff. It's a, it's a labor of love and I'm with you on the historical stuff. I'll take some days and I'll just go backwards. 
I'll, I'll just find old contracts, get them on the site just, just for my, for my own <laughs> peace of mind. I did Bo Jackson a couple of days ago just to do it because I was interested. So I'm with oh, you there. Oh, man. Yeah. The thing that was interesting to me for like the tight ends was like some of the contracts, like Cam Brake's contract yeah. and, and Julius Thomas's contract. I was like, what the, what? I love Whoa. doing that. I love bringing all-time ranks up. <laughs> how much those contracts are worth and how bad those contracts were. So, but yeah, great stuff. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. Let's get to some stuff. You mentioned the tight ends. It's not a bad place to start. I mean, you know, one of the conversations I wanted to have with you in terms of fantasy football, and that's, that's obviously why you're here and why you do what you do. And it, it is fantasy football time of year. I'm sure drafts are right around the corner here for many of you out there. Um, look, the tight end, in my opinion, and I, I, I've loosely researched getting myself ready here. It falls off pretty quick, right? That's not a position of power in fantasy football right now. So it, it, it can be. It's got the potential to be. But overall, you're right. When you look at the position, as I had mentioned, it's Travis Kelsey and it's George Kittle. And then it's Mark Andrews. So I feel like those two guys are on a tier basically by themselves. And then Andrews is very, very close. He may be joining that tier if he has another successful season. He's probably on the tier with like Zach Ertz. But then after that, there's a lot of talent, but there's a ton of question marks. Darren Waller had over 1,100 yards last year. Can he do it again? The Raiders added a lot of options to the passing game. Hunter Henry has always had the upside, but the injuries have been a concern. Yeah. Can he do it? Tyler Higby, who was otherworldly in the last, what, four or five games of the last season, yeah. but Gerald Everett's going to be healthy now. Can he continue to do it? Evan Ingram, lots of upside, lots of potential. Injuries have been an issue with him. We all like Hayden Hurst this year, but can he go in there and replace Austin Hooper and give us tight end one fantasy football numbers? That's a big question mark. Rob Gronkowski hasn't played in you know nearly 20 months, and he's 31 years old, and we already see reports about him being in New England shape and not in Florida shape. So what can he do? There's a lot of talent there. Then you've got a lot of young guys like Noah Fant and Mike Kosicki and Blake Jarwin and you know, Hawkinson as well, Johnny Smith, but can they take the next step? And that's a big question mark. So there's really only, hell, really only four guys I feel like that are just rock solid. You know what you're going to get from them. After that, everybody's got question marks. So in your opinion, do you, do you reach for those four or maybe those two? I mean, is it, it's worth it to go get a Kittle. It's worth it to go get a Kelsey right now. Every time I draft a tight end in the first 30 picks, I, I don't like my team. You hate yourself. And yeah. I mean, right. So because like every year you see somebody come out of nowhere at the position and produce like Austin Hooper was that guy last year. And there's a whole ton of young guys. Maybe it's Chris Herndon this year, but Jay Sternberger in, in Green Bay, right? I mean, who's their number two wide receiver right now? Alan Lazard. Okay. Well, who's the third option in the passing game? Maybe it's Sternberger. So there's, there's a lot of young upside type of players at the position. So I'd rather go there. Typically, I will try to get Hunter Henry, Higby, Ingram, Hayden Hurst somewhere starting maybe round seven, round eight, round nine, depending on the flow of the draft. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Volume over quality there, in, in my opinion, because you're right. The ceilings are just as high in a lot of those areas. You mentioned Gronk. Mm -hmm. Gronk might be the third best tight end on that team and the fifth best option for Tom Brady on that team right now. I mean, it's just so loaded from a fantasy perspective. I, I can't imagine that's a great pick right now, right? He's got an ADP of the seventh round on fantasy football calculator, which is bananas. That's There's high. no way in it. He has been the best tight end in the history of fantasy football, not named Tony Gonzalez. But 
let's also remember, what did we see from him in 2018? His numbers were down across the board. He had three touchdowns. I mean, his numbers weren't great. And then he had a year off. And I feel like the one thing that the, the Rob Gronkowski truthers always go back to is, well, he's got the best rapport with Tom Brady of anybody on that team. And maybe that's true. And it probably is true right now. That doesn't necessarily mean that it'll hold true the entire season. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to lead all tight ends on that roster in snaps played. Maybe he'll lead in targets. But let's also keep in mind, when was the last time Bruce Arians had a really strong fantasy tight end on his roster? <laughs> it was back in Pittsburgh with Heath Miller. That's it. I made the mistake last year of promoting O.J. Howard, thinking that he would put up some really good numbers in Tampa. I knew Arians didn't like to prioritize tight ends in the offense. I still went with it, and I got burned. A lot of people got burned. So, 31 years old, hasn't played in nearly 20 months, has got a lot of competition. As you mentioned, maybe isn't even the third or fourth option in the passing game. Could end up being a decoy on, on some on some plays. And has had injury issues during his career. There's no way I'm taking Rob Gronkowski in the seventh round. I wouldn't say that I wouldn't draft him, but he would be a borderline one, and I'd make sure that I had a young upside type of player to pair with him at the position in case he busts, and I think he might. Yeah, it's tough to argue that. I mean, you, you, you were able to rattle off about 15 tight ends right there that I think I absolutely want before Rob Gronkowski, so I think that's a consensus, no, no question. Look, at you You mentioned Pittsburgh. We're talking injuries here. Uh, Roethlisberger, to me, is a very, very interesting candidate heading into this draft season because I think many you know, of the consensus rankings have him in the middle of the pack in terms of quarterbacks, which is probably right. His age, he's coming off that injury, and, and the weapons are questionable, but they could, be pretty, they could be solid. I mean, we saw good things two years ago. What's your take on just Pittsburgh's offense from a fantasy perspective? Is it, is it boom or bust, or is it more of something you can count on? It all depends on Big Ben. It really does. If he could avoid injuries, I think that offense could be one of the best in the league. Yeah. Now, look back at 2018, all right? Now, I know they had Antonio Brown. I understand that. I get it. Over 5,100 passing yards. He led the NFL in pass attempts at 675. Uh, he led the NFL in, in touchdown throws over 20 yards. He was tremendous. He was the QB3 that season. Last year, of course, lost season. Uh, no Antonio Brown. Also keep in mind in 2018, that was the year Le'Veon Bell took his football and went home. So James Conner was the running back. He's still the running back. Juju Smith-Schuster had 11, uh, 111 catches that year, over 1,400 yards. He was the wide receiver nine, I believe it was. They have Deontay Johnson, who a lot of people compare to Antonio Brown in terms of his physical uh, makeup. And I'm one of those people. I think he could be a big-time sleeper slash breakout candidate. James Washington is still in the mix, and he could take the top off of defense. They added Eric Ebron. They drafted Chase Claypool. So there's talent there, and the backfield is still led by James Conner. Now, I'm not saying that Big Ben's going to have 5,000 passing yards, but can he have 4,700, 4,600, 28 to 32 touchdown passes? Hell yeah, he can. And that offense, absolutely. And when you read and talk to people about what's going on in Pittsburgh right now, you know, there's some reports that he's spinning it pretty good. There's been some other reports that maybe he's short-arming it a little bit. Uh, I talked to Aditi Kikamwala about Ben yesterday, and she said he looks good. It's just all about getting his timing back. And he slimmed down. Mm-hmm. He is one of those quarterbacks that at the end of the season, we could be talking about being one of the better draft bargains because, as you mentioned, he's a, he's a mid-teens quarterback right now. He's being drafted well after the, the top 100. He is a late-round pick. 
He is a boomer bust selection. But if he can avoid injuries, I feel like Ben Roethlisberger could end up being a starter in fantasy leagues uh, in 2020 without any question. But he does he does come with some concerns, but he also comes with a very very uh, a price tag that's not going to blow the top off of anybody. Let's put it that way. Whether you're in an auction or if you're in a redraft, and there's upside there from a statistical perspective. Yeah, you nailed it. That's look at I. I have a tough time taking off the value goggles. It's kind of just how I I live my life in terms of these the sports money. You know, I'm always looking for bargains or or evaluations and things like that. And he just mm-hmm. he just feels like somebody who's being undervalued right now. And maybe that's rightfully so. We'll see. Another guy, maybe you know, a little higher on the list, but to me, could be boomer bust. But he's just been so darn consistent. I feel like Matthew Stafford's much of the same conversation. Am I wrong, or is the, are the weapons just not there for him? No, Stafford's, I have him ranked a little bit higher than Roethlisberger. Last year, he was one of very few quarterbacks to average over 20 fantasy points per game. Then he went and got hurt, mm-hmm. uh, missed the, the the second half of the season with the injury. But Kenny Galladay is a great young wide receiver who could end up being an elite guy this season. Marvin Jones is vastly underrated. If he can avoid injuries, that guy can make plays. We've seen it. I believe there was a game last year where he had, what, three or four touchdowns. He, he is a guy that can be a playmaker. Danny Amendola is a reliable option underneath in the slot. And TJ Hawkinson, who's still not 100% at this point, which is a little bit concerning. But he is also a player with some upside in that offense. You're also seeing reports out of, out of Lions camp that DeAndre Swift has been really impressive as a pass catcher. That's another weapon for Stafford. And Stafford is another one of those players where you can get him somewhere in the middle to late rounds and he may pay dividends. Outside of 2018, okay, and that was Stafford's down year. He's ultimately been one of the better quarterbacks in fantasy football, and he's been pretty reliable, too. So I would not mind getting Stafford as my QB2 uh, in 2020 drafts. And, and the, uh, you know, the buzz is that he's essentially playing for his job next year. I mean, that's just sort of how we look at it from a contractual standpoint. There's a big out in that contract after 2020. So I always love to pick a player who's got a, a, you know, another contract to play for. It just always seems to work out in the end of the day. Uh, money is the great motivator, my friend. Oh, you know that, right? Money is the answer to everything. You know that. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. uh, look at speaking of a couple of guys who are going to be extension eligible this uh, after this year. You know, I'm going to keep Lamar Jackson out of this conversation because he's obviously arrived. Whether or not he can sustain that is is really you know not for us to figure out at this point. But but mm-hmm. his draft counterparts here in Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen. I mean, the rankings have Josh Allen way up. And, uh, you know, Baker, a healthy lead behind him. And then Darnold quite a bit behind those two. Is that how right. you see it? Who's got the who, who can take the biggest step forward or, or or can Allen even sustain what he did last year to some degree? I feel like he can. I think there's going to be regression in terms of his rushing touchdowns, which he led the league in uh, at the quarterback position last season, I believe, with nine. So even if he gives me five or six, that's tremendous, because in terms of fantasy points, when the quarterback that you have on your roster can run with the football, it's huge. It, it makes it makes good fantasy quarterbacks great, and it makes average fantasy quarterbacks good. Uh, case in point, Tim Tebow, okay, who couldn't throw the ball to save his life, but he was a viable fantasy starter because he could run with the football, right? Hell, I even started Terrell Pryor for a few games back in his Oakland Raiders days when he was playing quarterback. I remember one game he was great. He had over 100 yards rushing. So. That's, that's the big equalizer from a fantasy perspective. So even though Josh Allen isn't really known for being an accurate quarterback, he's also got a big arm. They added Stephon Diggs. So I feel like Allen's uh, pretty set to be a quarterback, let's say, in the 6-8 to eight range at the end of the season. As it pertains to Baker Mayfield, 
he's ranked a lot lower than he was last year. I mean, a lot of people, including myself, had him ranked in the top eight quarterbacks. But now you're now you got burned by him, and it's sort of like you know, once bitten, twice shy. You're like, eh, okay, the weapons are still there. The offensive line should be much better with the additions of Jedrick Wills and of course Jack Conklin. But can Baker get it done? Was his rookie year a fluke, or was last year sort of just uh, a fluke, a bump in the road, and he'll he'll bounce back? But based on the fact that you can get in late, QB2, not a lot of risk. Same sort of thing with Sam Darnold. Hasn't really lived up to expectations. Dealt with the mono last year. The reports that we've been hearing in camp so far have been glowing. He looks great. But what kind of weapons does he have? Yeah. Right? His best pass catcher is Jamison Crowder. Nothing against Jamison Crowder because I love him in fantasy. He's going to have you know, 70, 75 catches again. But he's not a number one wide receiver. They brought in Rashad Perriman. Eh, okay, whatever. Denzel Mims is in there. He's banged up right now. I love Chris Herndon. I think he could end up being a star, but the Jets have not really set Sam Darnold up to be a big statistical star with what they've brought in around him. So Allen's the guy who's going to go way before Baker and way before Darnold in drafts. I feel like Baker can take the biggest step forward because of the talent he has and better protection in front of him. And I do feel like Darnold is in that sort of like deep sleeper sort of category, but I don't trust what the talent is around him. And I don't trust Adam Gase either, to be quite honest with you. (laughs) I think that's fair. Uh, you mentioned Diggs. Let's talk wide receivers here a little bit. Uh, I mean, I could talk quarterbacks all day. I, I got to get myself out of that out of that habit. Adam Thielen. <laughs> Adam Thielen. I mean, he's he's a top fifteen wide receiver. There's no question. But he's kind of a man on an island now out there. I mean, I, I know there's a couple of young kids, and certainly Delvin Cook's going to get his touches uh, as long as he doesn't hold out. We'll see. But how, how do you treat that? Uh, is a wide receiver? who's a clear wide receiver one with, you know, not as a, not as great a WR2 below him. Is that a better fantasy option? Or do you love the idea of Godwin and Mike Evans together and, and Gallup and, and uh, Amari Cooper together and even, you know, CeeDee Lamb is not well, but uh, do you like there, there'd be a package so that there's pressure on the defense and, and it's not so much, let's just shut down this one guy from a fantasy perspective, or is it more of, you know, I, I just want a guy who's going to get a lot of touches in a PPR situation. I love the target share potential for Thielen because you would think that he is going to be that guy by a mile in Minnesota. And this is a player who really thrived a couple of years ago. I I believe it was what seven, eight games in a row that he started the season with over a hundred yards, something like that. He was just amazing. And then last year, you know, dealt with injuries and and really couldn't get the job done. It's always beneficial for a wide receiver to have somebody else on the roster. That's going to draw defenses. There's no question about that. So I understand both points of view. But at the end of the day, opportunity is king in fantasy football. And I feel like Thielen's going to have a lot of opportunities to produce. I have him ranked as my 15th wide receiver uh, coming off the board in 2020 draft. So he is in that sort of mid to high wide receiver two range. Also, you have to keep in mind the offense, right? Last year, yeah. the Vikings didn't throw the ball. Like at all, it seemed in the beginning of the season, so much so that Stephon Diggs was mad and made some comments. And you know now he's in Buffalo. And that offense is going to continue to be uh, very, very run-based with Gary Kubiak calling the shots and Dalvin Cook hopefully in the backfield there for at least 14 to 16 games. Uh, Kubiak has had success at the wide receiver position as an OC or a head coach. But, I mean, you've had some big names there, right? I mean, he's coached Andre Johnson. and He's had Rod Smith and, and some others as well, Demarius Thomas. So the, the opportunities are going to be there. I think the offensive system, they're going to throw the football enough where Thielen is a guy who can give you 80 catches, 11 or 1,200 yards, and somewhere in the neighborhood of eight touchdowns, even without digs in the mix. So, uh, But opportunity is certainly king in fantasy football, and 
Thielen is going to have the opportunity to see a ton of targets. So are, are Godwin and Mike Evans top 10 wide receivers because of the reverse of what you just said, because you don't think the Buccaneers are going to push the run the ball because they just don't have the weapons to do it. Um, because it just d- does seem like those two are going to take a lot of targets away from each other. It's all part of it. It's all part of it. It's uh, so I will say this last year, James Winston led the league or was tied in pass attempts with uh, Jared Goff. And um, you know, he, he had to throw the ball a lot because he was throwing it for the wrong team. All heck of a lot. Yeah. I, I don't know that Godwin's going to be able to duplicate the numbers he did last year on a points per game basis. He was at about 19.7. And Evans, sort of the same thing. He was more inconsistent. He would have big blowout games and then he would do nothing. Uh, overall, though, both guys were, were extremely productive in, in terms of points per game numbers. But with Tom Brady under center, right, not going to turn the ball over nearly as much. Uh, he's much more accurate. So the pass attempts you would think are going to decrease. Uh, I, I don't see Tom Brady throwing the ball nearly as much as James Winston did last year. So you can make an argument that that's not good for either one of these guys from a talent perspective and from an offensive perspective. They could end up being in one of the most prolific offenses in the National Football League, right? They've got a ton of talent. So that factors into it as well. Uh, I have Godwin fifth and I have Evans ninth among wide receivers. And are there going to be weeks where one has the big game and one struggles? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's certainly going to be the case. But you've got the greatest quarterback of all time throwing him the football. Let's see if he's still got his deep ball. I feel like a lot of people argue that maybe he doesn't. I would assume that he can still sling it pretty well. So I do feel like these two guys, although they may have some weeks where they're not reliable because the other guys had a big game, whatever the case may be, Maybe it's Gronkowski one week with a touchdown in the red zone that may have otherwise gone to Godwin or Evans. Of course, when you have a lot of mouths to feed, that's a question mark. But just based on the talent, based on the quarterback, based on the offense with Bruce Arians, uh, I still feel pretty comfortable with both of these guys being my wide receiver one. Fair enough. I've got two other points to get to before I get you out of here. But uh, tell us about your show. Tell us about Fantasy Dirt, man. Fantasy Dirt is on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, every Monday through Friday. And you can catch the shows on demand as well on the Sirius XM app. What I bring to the show with Bob Harris and Mike Dempsey that may be a little bit different, I try to get out of the monotony of the numbers. I do talk a lot of stats. I do talk a lot of numbers because it's fantasy football. But we like to have a lot of fun on the show. We bring in a lot of celebrity guests. We've had Tommy Lee from Motley Crue on the show. We've had Joe Buck from Fox Sports on the show. We've had LaDainian Thomas on the show. We get a lot of really good guests, whether it's celebrities or musicians. Allison Chains, that's that, that's actually part of the reason why the show is Fantasy Dirt, because Jerry Cantrell and Mike Ennis are two really good friends of mine. I play in fantasy leagues with them. And you get the dirt on the dirt, but it's also dirt from the second album that Allison <laughs> Chains put out, which is maybe their best album. It's arguably one of the one or uh, first or second uh, in terms of the rankings there uh, for AIC albums. But... It's an entertaining show. We have a lot of fun with it. We're always goofing around, and fantasy football is fun. We try to make it fun, and we try to bring in people who you know, who you might follow in the movie world or the television world or the music world or whatever the case may be, former players, current players, and we bring them in to talk about fantasy football. We had Austin Eckler on the show, and I always like to get their perspective on what they think about fantasy football or what some of the celebrities think about a player's value. I know Scotty Porter, who's a good friend of mine, who was – uh, Jason Street from Friday Night Lights, big-time fantasy football guy. I had Taylor Lautner on last week, big-time fantasy nice. football guy. Had a great story about Sean Payton. 
So it brings a different aspect to fantasy football and uh, hopefully everybody out there checks it out. I love it. You're right. It's a global entity. It really is. And it shouldn't be just confined yeah. to the nerds, right? Even though that's, that's my target audience here. So sorry, nerds. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Both of us. Yes. Um, all right. I appreciate it. Two more thoughts. I got, I got to, I got to be open-ended on this first one. Tell me how to understand running backs. <laughs> I'll give you I'll give you one bit of advice you better go after them early and often in your fantasy drafts so you're going to be pissed I can tell you that I've been going running back running back in every draft and then wide receiver wide receiver and then my fifth overall pick uh, fifth rounder would be best available running back or wide receiver you have to go after those guys who you know are going to get the volume of touches in their respective backfields obviously like McCaffrey and Saquon and Zeke and Cook and Kamara and Clyde edwards helaire who I absolutely love. Derrick Henry, Joe Mixon, Miles Sanders. Please let him be okay. I know he got banged up. He's supposed to be fine for week one. And then you also have to think of, we're in a PPR age right now. Most leagues, you get points for catches, so you want those versatile backs like an Austin Eckler, like a Kenyon Drake, uh, potentially a guy like Josh Jacobs who may see more opportunities in the passing game, hopefully, fingers crossed. And you also have to keep in mind, though, there's there's maybe more talent at running back than there's ever been in the National Football League. Yes. So there are going to be weeks where guys that you are leaning on don't get the job done. Devin Singletary might be your flex starter. And in one week, well, Zach Moss might both throw a touchdown away from you. Or maybe it's Josh Allen. You could be leaning on David Montgomery, for example. And game script suddenly means they're going to throw the football. And it's Tariq Cohen who has the big game. That's just the NFL right now. That's why those top backs are so important. The guys who are going to be on the field for three downs during running situations, during passing situations, and you don't have to really worry about them. But the good thing is that it's a deep position. The bad thing is there's more backfield committees, especially with what happened with the draft. I mean, hell, every single stud running back went to a team that had an incumbent starter, except for the Chiefs with Damian Williams opting out. So it makes things a little bit more confusing. But hell, that's part of the fun of it. All right. Just a... a piggyback question off that one. We, we got a lot of people in our audience that play salary cap fantasy football leagues, right? I mean, whether it's re- real salaries or average salaries or some sort of a, you know, truncated version of actual NFL salaries. And, you know, when running backs get paid, it's such a big question mark. So, so tell me this, we've got Christian McCaffrey at 16 million a year, you know, Zeke Elliott at 15 million a year, Dalvin cook might get 12 and a half, 13 million in a couple of weeks here. If the reports kind of stay true is it worth it? I mean, is there, is there really enough bang for buck out of Christian McCaffrey to, to justify $16 million a year on your, on your fantasy salary cap? I gotta be honest with you. I think there is because he is one of those guys that you know is going to get touches and he's a young running back too. I mean, this guy is in the prime of his career. Same kind of thing with Zeke, same kind of thing with Dalvin cook. Although cook brings some of the injury concerns. The thing is though, I mean, if you think about it, a lot of the running backs don't get paid. Melvin Gordon, got what 16 million dollars over two years i mean that's that's not egregious in in any sense they won't pay leonard fournette in jacksonville right so he's got a a a pretty good number at this point right now although you would think he'll get paid in 2021 assuming he stays out of trouble off season in terms of the off-field stuff and produces on the field so i do think those big running backs are going to be worth the big dollars i mean hell how about Mahomes? $500 $500 million. Is he worth half a billion dollars? I mean, I guess he is, right? <laughs> is Dak going to be worth 35 to $40 million? I mean, I guess he is. But at the running back position, you pay a premium for the guys who you know are in the prime of their careers and are going to get the the bulk of the workload in their respective backfields. I say it again, opportunities king in fantasy football. So uh, some of these teams have had to pay 
And I feel I'm a running back truther, so I love when young running backs get paid. And I feel like Sean Alexander, you remember that contract real well. Oh, yeah. He was 30 years old. They gave him what? It was like an eight-year contract. It was ridiculous. And there was no way in hell he was ever going to live up to it because he was 30 already. <laughs> and ever since then, I feel like teams are like, we're not playing running backs, especially the older guys, man. Forget about it. But it is what it is. And I, I wouldn't scoff at having to pay a big number for a guy like McCaffrey or a guy like Saquon or a guy like Zeke because I know what I'm getting from them in a position where there's not a whole ton of featured backs right now. Sean Alexander in 2006, eight years, $62 million. Four, it was crazy. 14 years ago. He, he only played two more seasons and he, and he quit the league after that. That was it. Yeah. And one of those years he was with the Redskins. Yep. You left. Yep. Absolutely. It was insane. And you know, what's so great. I can just go to your website right now <laughs> and look up Sean Alexander and check out his contract details and that's part of what I love about your website. Like I go back and look and see, yep, look, I mean, that is insane. Eight years, $62 million, an $11 million signing bonus, an average of $7.7 million per year, all on SpotRack. I can find it right away. And that was the worst, probably the worst contract in NFL history as it pertained to a running back. It's got to be, right? I like to say that Sean Alexander broke running backs and Jason Hayward broke baseball money. <laughs> those, are, those, are my, those are my two bugaboos right there. That's uh, true. Let's get yeah, you out true. on this real quick, quick hits. Um, you know, there's just some teams that don't lend themselves to fantasy football on an annual basis that, you know, whether, you know, I'm guessing the Patriots are probably one of them. There's a couple of fringe players, you know, James might, might, might have a big year because of the situation. I don't know where Cam Newton sits in your thoughts right now. Uh, and Edelman probably much of the same. You know, is there another team like the Patriots that you just want to stay away from completely in drafts? And then then the inverse, of course, you know, who are your power teams? Maybe one or two teams that you just want to load up on. See, I I never say never. And I've actually got a lot of shares of Edelman and White because I feel like they're going to get opportunities. So I I wouldn't stray away from them. And even Cam Newton, like his price tag is not not super expensive at this point. So why not take a chance on him as a QB, too? I never say never with anybody outside of like Jared Goff. I just don't trust him after last year. I got burned by him and I want nothing to do with him. You know, when you look at the the offenses on the bottom side, you're looking at Washington. And Jacksonville's got some nice fantasy players, but, you know, is Gardner Minshew going to be effective? Miami's got a few as well, but they have a backfield that's got some question marks. And then you've got the Jets, of course. Chicago's got Allen Robinson and David Montgomery. But beyond that, is Anthony Miller an option? I mean, maybe he's going to end up being – uh, more reliable than he was last year. Time will tell. But at the top, I mean, no, those ones are easy, right? I mean, Kansas City is, you know, is bananas good. Baltimore, you're hoping that Hollywood Brown makes a, a leap in his second season. That's very possible. That offense is is loaded. My beloved Dallas Cowboys, they're loaded. Tampa Bay's loaded. Uh, New Orleans is also loaded. So uh, one team that I feel like could be a surprise team is the Giants because I really like Daniel Jones. And you've got Saquon in the backfield. And I know they don't have like an elite wide receiver, but Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, and Darius Slayton is a pretty nice trio, especially if Slayton can build on a rookie season with eight touchdowns. And Evan Ingram's obviously got to avoid injuries, but he's he's a talented dude. He's a wide receiver in a tight end's body. So maybe the G-men move up this season as well. That's a really nice pick. I, I, I've been you know, doing some research myself here on who might be extended, where these free final free agents might land, possibly some trade opportunities. I don't hate that Giants team. You sound like a Cowboys guy, so I, I apologize for this, but I, I feel like yes. there's I feel like there's a big trade and a big free agent signing still to be made out of the out of the Giants camp right now. I, I mean, a, a situation like Jalen Ramsey, if the Rams aren't going to pay him, 
the Giants should throw everything at him to, to lock him in with right. James Bradbury and, and bring in a clowny, bring in, you know, a Logan Ryan or somebody who's sitting out there right now on, on a $10 million contract really for one year. I, I, I do think right. you're right. If that offense comes, you know, takes a step forward like it might, the defense isn't ready yet. So I, I think that's a team to watch over these next couple of weeks. Right. And think about it, too. The defense is going to be garbage, which garbage. means they're going to have to throw it a ton, a lot of shootouts, barn burners, and that's what you want in fantasy football. This was great. I appreciate your time. Tell us again where we can listen to you, man. Yeah, man. So uh, make sure you go to SI.com slash fantasy for my rankings, my articles, videos, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio, Monday through Friday on Fantasy Dirt, 8 p.m. Eastern. I'm also going to be starting a show very soon on Westwood One called the NFL Fantasy Forecast. That will begin, I believe, this weekend on Westwood One Radio. You can find that uh, on westwoodone.com as well. And I'll also be uh, putting up some info on another uh, project that I'm working on. That's sort of uh, a secretive thing at this point right now, but I'll be uh, posting about that on my social media, Twitter at Michael underscore Fabiano, Instagram at Michael underscore Fabiano underscore. And then you can find me on YouTube and Facebook. Don't follow at Michael Fabiano on Twitter. It's an opera singer. He's a cool guy. I've actually interviewed him on my show. It was weird interviewing a guy named Fabs because that's been my nickname for so long. But he is a Jersey guy and a Yankees fan, and he's Italian. So it's all good, but he doesn't know about fantasy football very much. So don't ask him any questions. Follow them both. <laughs> just just give them both a follow. There you go. He, I'm the other Michael Fabiano, but you, you can follow us both. Hey, you're one of the best, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, Michael. Take care, bud. Take it easy. All right, a special thanks today to Scott Allen and his NBA numbers. Cousin Dan for <laughs> eating crow and talking about how hard fantasy baseball and DFS has been over the past couple of weeks here and what's in store for the NFL as well. And of course, speaking of fantasy football, my thanks to Michael Fabiano. You can follow him on Twitter, Michael underscore Fabiano. Check him out at Sports Illustrated. Give him a listen, 8 p.m. Monday through Fridays on the Sirius Fantasy Sports Radio Network for Scott Allen and The Athletic and Dynasty Owner and Hit Parade. My name is Mike Giannetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast. <laughs>